All right. As I said, all everybody's going to stay in here today. We've got something very, very cool to cover. But last week, we were in a message called Family Ties. That was in Joshua chapter 17. We were in verses 7 through 13. And then what we did in that continuing examination of kind of looking at that half-tribe of Manasseh that had stayed in the promised land. And what we did was we looked at kind of the things that united them with some of their brethren, first focusing on the tribe of Ephraim, their, their uh, lineage through Joseph. But what we recognized is the fact that they had something that was a shared resource. There was a river that brought them together, and that life-giving water was something that made them one. And what we saw is a correlation to us coming to the life-giving water of the Word of God. Uh, coming to the truths of Christ and realizing the fact that that unity that brings us together, that shared dependence upon God's Word is something that would bring us, like them, together. And then we looked at the fact that uh, the power of influence. And we started looking at Manasseh's ability to influence his other, uh, his brethren. And what we saw was the, the correlation to you and I being an influence on our brethren and why it's so direly important for us to be a godly influence because there are a lot of influences in the world that are trying to get people's hearts. Our kids right now, their hearts are being drawn away from God, and we must be a godly influence to point them back to Him. And then from that perspective of influence, we then thought about Manasseh's negative influence on his brethren. And what we saw was his faithlessness or their faithfulness and their lack of faith actually impacted their brothers, and it actually started to show up in their lives. And it relayed to us or helped us to focus on the dire importance of the influence that we have on people that are watching us, the importance of our, of our testimony. And what we saw, and, and I didn't bring this up in the message last week, but there is at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, uh, Paul, uh, Timotheus, and uh, Silvanus at this time, this, this is written to, the, written to the church of Thessalonica. And listen to the wording here of the encouragement that we'll hear. 1 Thessalonians 3, 7, writing this to the church. He says, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted, okay? So these three said, we were comforted over you and all our affliction. As we went through affliction, as we went through adversities and distress by your faith. Your faith in our adversity comforted our hearts. And so we got to realize the fact that you have power that you do not realize. You have influence that you do not know of. I can tell you there's times when you go through something hard and I watch it from a distance and it encourages me how you deal with it. And that we have that opportunity in people's lives, lost and, lost and saved. But then, sadly, we shifted into the future and we kind of looked into the book of Judges. And what we saw was kind of where things went with Manasseh and their influence. And we saw this cascading effect where the disobedience that they displayed became a widespread issue that went throughout uh, Canaan. And with that destructive impact, that fall uh, or, that, or that carryover into these other lives, it caused us to take note of the impact that we can have through our failures, through our faithlessness, through our, through our, uh, through our disobedience. Recognizing that our lives, our testimonies, our faithfulness is powerful in this world because you've got to realize that most people outside these doors, the only Bible they're going to read is the one they see lived out in your life. They are judging God. They're judging God's word based upon the choices that we make, the things that we prioritize, and the way that we deal with the adversities that life's going to throw at us. So our testimony speaks volumes. But as we look this morning, what we're going to do is shift. Uh, now we're going to be looking at a conversation that's going to take place. We kind of get to listen in like a, uh, I was going to say a flea on the wall. That's not right. What is it? Fly on the wall. That's what it is. Flea. <laughs> I don't know how fleas have very good ears. I'm not sure. I have no idea. But obviously flies do. We all know that. Um, but 
as we listen in on this conversation, what we're going to see is we'll see uh, Joshua, who's God's appointed leader. He's going to be having a conversation with Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, we're going to see them identified as the children of Joseph because the two tribes come together. But they're going to be discussing what it was that they received. But they're also going to be discussing what they think of what they received. And today's message is titled Confronting Ingratitude. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of life, the gift of your love for us, and, Lord, the gift of your word. Father, I know that it has spoken to my heart. Lord, I have studied this, and, Lord, I have seen clearly what it is I believe you want me to share. And, Father, I do pray uh, that today I would be able to get out of the way. Lord, you know, I don't want to be important. I don't want to be heard. I want your truth to come forth, that we might all be changed. Help us, Lord, to confront ingratitude in our own hearts. Speak to us now, adult and child, and help us to receive the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Joshua chapter 17, verses 14 through 18. We're going to close out the chapter today. Verse 14, And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto? And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up into the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they who are of Bashan and her towns, and they who are of the, Jezre- of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spake unto the house of, of Joseph, even to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and outgoings of it shall be thine. For thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Now, how many of us have ever dealt with somebody who has an unthankful or, or, a, or an air of ingratitude in there, in, right? So let's, we all experience that, right? So you've done something really nice for somebody. And the worst thing in the world is when you do something nice for somebody and they don't even, well, that's not the worst, they don't acknowledge it. That stinks, right? You do something super nice and they're just like, whatever. But the worst is when you do something super nice for somebody and as soon as you give it to them or do it, they're like, you know what? This is it? Really? <laughs> I asked you to make biscuits. You made four biscuits. Why didn't you make a dozen biscuits? Couldn't you make two dozen biscuits? That's what you settled with? Four? Why did you choose four? I'm not good enough for more biscuits? <laughs> Isn't that frustrating? Right? Well, that's exactly what's going on here. Imagine Joshua is doing this distribution. He's doing all that God's telling him to do, and this is what's taking place. So as we read through this, we're going to see the collective of Manasseh and Ephraim, the children of Joseph. They're going to come with an attitude, and what we're going to do is listening in, we're going to pick up four points. What we'll learn is, first of all, ingratitude derives from discontentment. Secondly, ingratitude must be challenged and redirected. Third, ingratitude is always accompanied by justifications. And then fourth, ingratitude is eliminated when God's people appreciate and consecrate what it is that he's already given them. So our first and third points are going to be from the perspective of the children of Joseph. We're going to kind of hear their take on things. And then what will happen on the third, or on the second and the fourth, we're going to kind of get Joshua's response to it. So we're going to learn how we deal with it in our own hearts, but we're also going to learn how to deal with it in other people's lives as well. So Joshua gives us some great information. So let's first look at ingratitude drives, derives from con- discontentment. Verse 14, And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I am a great people? For as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto. So let's just look at the statement. Let's look at how things start out. The very first word that we see is 
Why? Why? And boy, oh boy, when people are discontented, this is one of their favorite words to use. Oh, tell you. Why can't I? Why don't I? Why wasn't I? Why shouldn't I? Why do I have to? Why should that? Why do they have to? Why do they have that? Right? Have we all heard these phrases from people with this attitude, right? So, yeah, why right off the bat? And then what, notice what it's followed by. So it says, why? Then he says, why? They say, why hast thou given me? Do you see what's in that phrase? Given me. Given me. This inheritance was not earned. This inheritance was not deserved. It was given to them. It was gifted to them. So they have received a gift, and automatically they're saying, you know what, this isn't good. That's like Christmas morning. You give your child a gift, and they tear it open, and they're like, really? <laughs> not that when any of us ever experienced that. I have to tell you a story. This is not in my message, but I, for whatever reason, I feel compelled to tell you. When I was a little kid, Evil Knievel was the deal, right? Evil Knievel, you wind him up, and he would go, pew, and he would take off, right? Well, they had Evil Knievel, and that's what I wanted. And man, I had asked for Evil Knievel, and I had made sure everybody knew I wanted Evil Knievel. So, Christmas morning comes, we're at my grandparents', and I see this box, and I know what it's shaped like, and I'm like, yeah, baby, Evil Knievel. We're doing some jumps this afternoon, I can feel it. And boy, I go, and, I, and I'm, and, you know, the first thing I go to, man, I tear up in that box, and it's pink. And Evil Knievel's Barbie. And I'm like, whoa. I am like, I'm just like floored. I'm like, Whoa. so my, my, I mean, my face, I could not, I just was like, and I started crying. And my mom and my grandmother, had, and my mom had told my grandmother what to get. She went and obviously got the wrong thing. And I'm just like devastated. And then my mom's like, go tell your grandmother the thing. And I'm like, thank you. That was so anyway. I don't know why I want to say it. But. Ingratitude, right? I was not. She had gone through the effort to go get me that gift. She was doing her very best, and instead of being thankful, I was a stupid kid, and I made her feel terrible. And then you know what? I, I never got an evil Knievel, by the way. But anywho, I just cut Barbie's hair off. She got shorter hair, and I painted her outfit black. So uh, <laughs> she was a rather slim and shapely uh, evil Knievel. But <laughs> the point is this: we had this issue. The fact that we feel like we're entitled to more, right? And this is, this, is, this is what's taking place here. So what happened, if they could have just remembered the part where it said they had been given, right? And this is the key, right? The answer is in the phrase that thou hast given me. And so the idea, if they could have remembered the given me part, that's this conversation would have never taken place. But what happened was instead of looking at what they had been given, they thought about what they did not have. Right? And this is the issue with humanity as a whole. We've been given so much. And if someone said, listen, I want you to sit down and I want you to truly write down, categorize everything that is a blessing, something that you've been given by God, I want you to write them all down. And boy, it would take us forever. Because you'd name every digit you had. You'd name every aspect of your family, the way God worked through adversities and taught you lessons in the Bible. I mean, there's so many things to list. To list. But we're not overwhelmed with that list in the mornings. What we many times do is we have a list from the day before of what we're bitter about or discontented about or frustrated by, and we make sure first thing in the morning to remind ourselves of why it's not going to be a good day, of why I should be irritated, why I'm deserving of, of more. Then we see the word but. Because right? he says, why hast thou given me but 
one lot. But another favorite word of the discontented, but. Moe, hey man, I'd be there, but. I know I should, but I see the need, but. I would have given, but. I would have served, but. And because of their ingratitude towards all that they've already been given, what they do is they have... <laughs> Bye, kiddo. You might look like you're in trouble. Um, we hear a scream. Do not be worried. Um, they, give, they give excuses of why they can't do, right? Why they can't do it. And see, this is something, this is going to be our third point we're going to get into. But this is where it comes in. So many times we want to give ourselves excuses of why it is we do not do what we're called to do. Ingratitude is nothing more than not being thankful. That's all it is. And what does the Bible tell us about how we're supposed to live this life? The way that we're supposed to approach life. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, notice the wording in here. It says, in everything, give thanks. Just that opening phrase, colon, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is the will of God. People go, what's God's will for me? To be thankful. Right? To be thankful. Most of us are not grateful. We're not thankful. We don't appreciate what we have. And here he's saying, listen, you want to know what my will is? Start off with being thankful. Psalm 97, 12 says, rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous. And he says, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. Remember how good God is. Psalm 100, the whole thing, all five verses. Listen to this. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Everybody serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Listen, everything we have, everything we are is from God. Verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. When we hear that, the gates and the courts, what it's talking about, it's talking about the tabernacle, it's talking about the temple, right? When you entered into the gate, you came into, you were trying to come to the presence of God, he's saying when you're going to come to God, you need to enter the gate with thanksgiving. That's your entry point. You want to get close to God, your entry point is going to be through thanks. And then once you get thanks, you know what will actually naturally follow that? Praise. We start off with a thankful heart before the morning's out. Man, we're praising God. Just the way it works. Enter his courts, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is God, the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. This truth continues on into eternity. And so we see repeatedly God directs us to have an attitude of appreciation, to have an attitude of thankfulness. Not just for some things. Notice that it said, for all things, everything. Romans 8, 28, what does it tell us? God works all things together for good, for those that love God that are called according to His purpose. All things. So that means the good things. That means the bad things. That means the frustrating things. That means this, the losses, the failures. It says all things. You know, 1 Thessalonians tells us, in everything, give thanks. And so that's easy to say. And we know what to do. The question is, do we do it, right? So it's one thing to know that I'm supposed to be thankful, but many times I may struggle to actually do that. So we may want to be thankful, but here's the struggle. And see, God's told us how it is we can be thankful, how we don't become overwhelmed by our circumstances. He actually tells us exactly what we need. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. 
one of the shortest, most straightforward verses in all the all Scripture. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Because what does what we see do? It discourages us. Or it lures us to envy. Right? All the things that we see. The problem as we scroll through the world through screens and through our computers is the fact that, man, every possible issue in the world, everything we could ever desire can be set right in front of us. And they'll show us an image of what our body should look like after they photoshopped and etched it and worked it out and made it look all perfect. And the person's like, oh, and you're like, man, why don't I look like that? Guess what? Because you're a human being. That's why. Right? But dissatisfaction is unfortunately something that a lot of us struggle with, and it gets a hold of our eyes. So he's saying you need to walk by faith, by who you are in Christ, not based upon what you see. Don't put your faith in your perception of your circumstances. Put your faith in the sovereign will of God, trusting his character and his unwavering desire to do what's best for us. God's always looking out for what is best. It's always, no matter what the circumstance So we're to have faith in God, and yet sometimes it is hard. It is hard to not uh, be overwhelmed by what on the surface seems to be so dark, so hard, so scary. And we we have a tendency to to not be thankful for things like disease, like failure, like loss, betrayal. We go, how can I be thankful for that? How could I be thankful for that? Having someone, having been someone who's gone through all of those, well, not disease really per se, but certainly in the lives of other people, I can tell you, you know what? With a proper perspective, we can give thanks. Because God works, we were in the hospital last night with Granny, you know, and and she's still there today. We're going to go see her after service. Y'all just pray for her. But, you know, we left there last night. But you know what? Through that interaction, we were there. We shared our faith. We gave tracts. We gave encouragement. We prayed. And it was like, hey, you know, I said, told Granny, I said, listen, if tonight, if this whole thing and all this scare and all that you've had to go through, if it was all just to reach one of them, how awesome is this? Man, God works all things together for good. It's all about our, our perspective. Things like this can so distort our view of our Christian lives that we lose sight of our blessings. And because we've disregarded God's instructions to walk by faith and not by sight, no matter what, We end up in a place where inevitably a phrase will form in our mind or come out of our mouth, which is this, why me? Why me, Lord? They're not dealing with this. Other people aren't dealing with this. Why do I have to deal with this? Why is this my story? This seems so unfair. And see, it's in this moment of discontentment, as that starts to swell in our hearts, that ingratitude starts to take root because discontentment is the the basis or the root for where ingratitude comes. And then once we get to that place of ingratitude, guess what happens? Our sense of self starts to swell. And we start to think, you know what? I deserve better than this. Oh, I deserve better than this. And see, this is where the children of Joseph are. This is where they are right now. Verse 14 says this. See, it says, look, seeing I am a great people. Do you not realize who I am? For as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto, we deserve more. Listen, Joshua, we're trying to tell you what you've given us is not enough. 
How many of us have ever looked at our finances, our homes, our bodies, our vehicles, our relationships, our careers, and said, not enough, not good enough. I deserve better. I deserve more. Have we not all been there at some point in our life? Absolutely. So here's this issue, and it's about our selfishness, right? And if you and I were honest with ourselves, and we really looked at it from a biblical perspective, what do we deserve because of our sinful and selfish past? Death. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. But every man is tempted. Notice, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own lust, and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. You and I are sinners by nature. We have all defied God. We have all done things in direct disobedience to our Lord. And yet He loves us. Scripturally, we deserve death. And yet, because of God's grace and because of His sacrifice on our behalf, what do we experience? We have life. And not only do we have life, but we have the option to have life more abundantly. And we have eternal life with the Lord. We have been given so much more. Grace is to offer something to someone as undeserved. That is God. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the grace. It's the God giving us something that we do not deserve. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. And what happens whenever, uh, if we allow ourselves, um, it was, no, listen, his love for us drove him to the cross and it guides us. His love guides us when we face adversities. Because remember the fact that God tells us he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And when we go through tough things, if we trust God, we need not let go of the fact that God is good. We can hold on to the fact that God is good and hold his hand as we go through it. You know, when a child is scared and they're freaked out and they reach out and they take your hand and you take it firmly and you hold it, it calms their heart. Can I tell you that God is always like this? Always. Just reach out. He will take our hand and He will guide us through whatever it is we face. But it's when we lose sight of that truth that we get consumed by the fact that we don't see God. We don't experience Him. Not because He's not there, just because we don't reach out. And we're insulated by our experiences to not feel His, His love. And then what happens is discontentment starts to grip our hearts. And as we start to be frustrated and, and unfortunately, uh, disillusioned. What can happen is we need something to shake us out of our, our path, right? We need an intervention. I don't know, I'm not, not talking about the ones you see on reality TV where they just walk in the room and it's like, boom, you're all bam, it's surrounded by a bunch of people. That's not what I'm talking about. But we need something or someone to intervene, to help us to recognize our ingratitude, to call us out on it, Right? This is what Josh was going to do. But recognize, and I pray that maybe this message, if, you're in a, if, you're, if you find yourself riddled with ingratitude, you find yourself feeling that you're, you're, you, you, you deserve more, that you know, you're bitter, you're frustrated, whatever thing you may be carrying in your heart, man. Listen, if this wakes you up, praise God. It was, as writing through this, it was, I mean, I was, it was shaking my core, man. I was like, man, you know, I'm not nearly as grateful as I need to be. But notice what Joshua does for them. The second point is this, ingratitude must be challenged and redirected. And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Perizzites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. Listen, he doesn't entertain their proposal. 
He doesn't listen with tears in his eyes and goes, I just want to understand, fellas. Let me know what's going on. No. He calls them out on it. You know why? Because he knows that what they have is what God provided for them. He's the one that God used to do it. So he knows what they're asking for is not godly. So instead of saying, oh, let me, let me just suffer with you through your mood. No. We don't need that. We need someone to go, no. Wake up. You think you deserve so much? You know what you deserve? Just like me, you deserve hell. Look at all that you've been given. We need a wake-up call. That's what he does for them. He, look what he says in this, in this statement. He says, listen, if thou be a great people. You guys told me you were a great people. Well, guess what? If you are a great people, then why don't you get up off your butts and go do what needs to be done? You want more land that's available to you? Get up and do the work, right? That's the challenge. He's saying, listen, go there and do it. Now, Ephraim's land, if we look at the map, if you notice, this is actually, this isn't a mountain. All this here is mountainous. So a large portion of the land that they have been given is a very rough area, densely wooded. Also, it's, it's populated with a very strong, strong, strong pagan population. So it is going to take some work and some risk in order for them to get what it is they want. So what happens? Here's the challenge, right? They have this opportunity. They could go and they could take it. But as opposed to expend the effort to go do that, to conquer the mountain, they would rather take the easy route. Why don't you just give us some more land so we don't have to do that? Because that sounds kind of yucky. <laughs> sounds like a lot of work. And see, this is the problem with us. We are all lazy by nature. We want the easy way, right? Always looking for the easy way out. And some people go, well, I'm not lazy. Okay, let me give you an example. Okay? Let's imagine, I told you, you could be in the top 1% of physically fit people. I'm talking 12-pack. I'm like, ripped out, man. I mean, everything is like, one of those internet people, right? I'm just talking, bam. Everybody just be like, what? And I told you it could be in a year. One year. Now, the problem is, you're going to have to be on an incredibly strict diet. And a workout regimen, even your sleep cycles, everything you do, everything you do is going to be controlled. But after a year, that's what you're going to be. Or, or, I said, you know, dude, I got this bottle of pills. Awesome. All you have to do, one pill a day. One pill a day in a year's time, boom, you're going to be there. Who chooses the pill? Everybody, right? All of us. We choose the easy way out. But see, one of those would develop character. One of those would develop discipline and appreciation. So when you got to that point, you'd be like, dude, yeah, okay, yeah, I might look okay, but let me just tell you all the work that it took to get here. I appreciate all the effort. The other one didn't take any effort. So guess what? Very soon it becomes unappreciated, right? And so what's Joshua doing for them? He's doing them a favor, He's waking them up to a reality. You don't need me to hand you something. You don't need me to give you something. You need to go out and, and earn it. 
right? Hebrews 12, 11. As God is dealing with the adversity of humanity and as he's dealing with us, he's chastening to us for our, for our, uh, our, 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 our disobedience. This whole process in, John, in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse number 5, all the way through to verse 11, he's doing this whole thing about chastening us. He's straightening us out. He's dealing with our issues, and he's pulling us back to him. Verse 11, this is how he wraps it up. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous, but grievous. He says, this is going to stink. Just so you know, it ain't going to be any part about this that's going to be fun. But, nevertheless, afterward, notice, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Listen, I love what it says here. Unto them that are exercised thereby. It is going to be work. But if you allow my, my spirit to work in your life and redirect you and pull you through the adversities that you need to go through on the other side of this thing, you are going to experience the fruit of righteousness. It will be worth it. Right? Notice this in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Here we go. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Okay? What I want you to understand is adversity breeds appreciation. Going through a loss increases our ability to have appreciation. We don't appreciate something many times till it's gone, right? We have a, a something in our life that we, we, we you know, we're like, ah, whatever, whatever, and then suddenly we lose it. And we're like, man, I used to really like that. Or you have a hand or foot. We've talked about before, if you lost your hand, you don't thank God for your hand every day, but if it was gone, all of a sudden, boy, you would have great appreciation for your hand. And we notice in this verse, we all want to be people of hope. Every single one of us. We all want to be people that are of hope, but we want it without having to go through the tribulation. Yet he tells us that if you want hope, it will come by way of tribulation. Adversity is the thing that teaches us to appreciate what it is that we have. See, we want it easy like Ephraim and Manasseh. We won't have any issue. But listen, and what happens Instead of hearing what Joshua tells them, he gives them the solution right there. But instead of hearing it, they immediately start to come up with their excuses of why it is they cannot do what he has told them to do. Number three, ingratitude always accompanied, is always accompanied by justifications. Listen to what they say. And the children of Joseph said, The hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they, which are of the Bethshean and her towns, and they who are of the Valley of Jezreel. So the children of Joseph start out by restating their original premise. Just so you know, if just in case you forgot, the hill is not enough for us. Look, Joshua, we're restating a very simple fact. Not only on top of that, we're also telling you that what you're asking us to do is unreasonable. It's not reasonable. Notice what they said, verse 15. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they also of the Beth Sheeran and her towns, and they who are of the Valley of Jezreel. Now, if we look at the map, interestingly enough, and this is just a little side note detail I want you to pay attention to. Notice up here where Beth Sheehan and Jezreel are. Do you notice that they're on Manasseh's? They're not in Ephraim's land. Ephraim's way down here. So his complaint is, the ones way up here in my territory, they're really, really strong. So is it possible that Manasseh, with his influence, has now sort of pulled Ephraim into this discussion, and he's come to, hey, let's go, to, let's go talk to Joshua about getting a little bit more land. Ephraim, come on, come on, come on, come on. But his complaint isn't about what Ephraim's got to deal with. It's about the cities that are his responsibility, interestingly, interestingly enough. But what we see here is um, uh, what basically they're saying is, Joshua, you do not realize the threat that we face. You've, uh, you're obviously uninformed, so let us educate you. 
on what it is that's actually going on. And, what's, and this is why we cannot do what it is you're telling us to do, even though it's what God said we should do. They're trying to sell that to Joshua. Now, Joshua is a man of God. Joshua walks with God. Joshua remembers God's promise. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, it says, There shall not, this is the promise of God, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days. Notice, any man shall be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. The issue is not Joshua's perspective on what is taking place here. It is their perspective. You see, they have forgotten who they are. They have forgotten whose they are. These are the children of God. And yet they speak as if they're defeated. And they start pulling out excuses and justifications of why they cannot do this and why they shouldn't have to do that. And can I tell you, there are instances in our lives when we will do the exact same thing. This is why I shouldn't have to do this, and this is why I shouldn't have to do that. And we come up with all these excuses. And you know why? It's because we've forgotten who we are. We are children of God. If you're a born-again child, this, that's who we are. That's our identity. But not only that who we are, but that's whose we are. We walk with God. It's His power, not our power. Right? And so we all know that in our minds, but we don't live it. We don't face adversity with the same uh, fervent faith and trust in, in God's power. We allow our circumstances to overwhelm us, and we lose sight of who it is we are, and we start thinking, you know what? I'm just... I'm just waiting for defeat. I just want to survive today. We're not conquerors. We live like we're conquered. Children that are defeated. And yet God tells us that we're not defeated. Romans 8.37 says this, Nay, in all these things we are more, not just conquerors, more than conquerors, through Him that loved us. Not because of who we are, not because we're something special, but because God is special. Right? It's His power. And so listen, if we come to God and, and our reasoning is legit and we really can't do it, then hey, no problem. Listen, sometimes it's some things we just can't do and that's okay. But understand, God knows what's legitimate. Right? You could come to me and sell me all kinds of stuff and I'll be like, oh, man, those are great excuses. Cool, great, okay. And I may buy them all. But see, in the end, you don't answer to me. You could fool me all day long. You could fool all of us all day long. But if you're living a lie and you're saying, I'm not doing it because of this, this, and this, and God goes, you know, that's not, that's not true. We'll stand before him. Notice 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, whether they succeeded for God or they failed. Notice verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of of the Lord. This is not written to the lost world. This is written to the church. And we go, the terror of the Lord. The realization that we're going to stand accountable to God for the things that we did in our body, both good and bad. And it is going to be a horrific and scary, frightening situation. And see, we have the opportunity right now in this life to change it or continue on the same trajectory. But notice this. He says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And he says, And I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. May you think about the choices that you're making. 
May God use your conscience to show you. If you're full of it, man, show it to you. Admit it. Don't think of excuses of why you can't do things for God. Find reasons how you can. God's gifted us with the ability to be on this earth at this time. Some people sit back and go, why couldn't I have been born in the 50s when things were easier and people were more godly? Why do I have to live now? Well, I don't know why. I don't know why we're here. You know what? If I had my choice, I probably wouldn't be here. But God, for whatever reason, saw fit that we were the ones that He wanted to be here. Remember, our life is up to Him. He created us. He put us on the earth for this time period. And He knew what would be going on on the earth as we speak. And yet, we're the people. We're the church that He put in place. So He believes that we can do it. He knows we can do it. And see, it's Him that does it anyway. <laughs> you don't have to be special. You don't have to be talented. All you have to do is show up. And so the reality is, God wants to do great things in our lives. But if we will not trust in Him, then we will be very limited. If we buy our own excuses, we won't accomplish much. But if we will truly walk by faith and we'll put our trust in God, we'll be a, a, a vessel fit for the Master's use. We'll work on being righteous. We'll work on, on being holy. We'll work on, on being bold in our faith. We'll work on, on praying with faith, believing. We'll, be, we'll work on being a person whose life makes a difference. We live a, a life that speaks to the world. Then we'll see God do incredible things. We're the limiting factor. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 says this, And I know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is His desire for us. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. It is God's power working through our lives that changes the world around us. And God doesn't accept excuses. And Joshua, thank God, does not either. Listen to what he says next. And we learn this fourth point. Ingratitude is eliminated when God's people appreciate and consecrate what he's given them. And Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, Thou art a great people and hast great power. Thou, thou shalt not have not what shall not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, uh, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. Joshua has shifted from confronting them. Notice his attitude is completely different here by calling them out. Uh, shifted from calling them out on their bogus excuses, and now he is encouraging them. Right? He's encouraging them and to, 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 to do what it is that he knows they can do. Notice that he uses their wording again. He says, Thou art a great people. This is who you are, and hast great power. Now, because we know about Joshua's character, and because we know Joshua has trusted in the power of men in the past, when they were at AI, he trusted in the power of men. I've seen two other times, he trusted in the power of men, and he was horribly defeated. Joshua is saying, listen, that great power, that is God. You are God's people. He's pointing them to the fact that, listen, you are a, you have great power. You have access to great power. You see, his confidence is not in them. It's in God. It's his confidence in the Lord. The power is not in their talent or their ability or their strength or their, or their veracity. It's nothing to do with them. It's just a matter of being willing to put their faith and trust in Him. Because if they will, He said that no man shall be able to stand before thee. No giant, nobody. You will be absolutely undefeated. And look, we all need these kind of reminders. Because life is sometimes hard. 
There are tough things. There are things that are going to come that are knock you to your knees. And you know what? You can lose hope. You can get frustrated. You can get bitter. You can feel discontented. But you know what God does for us? He gives us His Word. And you know what it's filled with? Encouragement. It's filled with examples of people just like you and me who fail and fall and make mistakes, and God still uses them. And He reinforces our faith over and over and over again. And so we cannot deny time in God's Word. As a Christian, if you're going out and you are trying to do this life, and you say, I want to be used by God, and you deprive yourself time in this Word, and you're counting on this one time a week to be what you're going to get that's going to carry you through, you're putting an unbelievable amount of pressure on me, but also you're being unrealistic. Because guess what? You need to be fortified in the Word daily, because the life that you're living is going to beat you down daily. You're not just going to get knocked down on Sunday morning or Saturday afternoon and be rebuilt on Sunday because you come here. But listen, Monday, you're going to get knocked down. Tuesday, you're going to get knocked down. Wednesday, you're going to get knocked down. The devil does not take a break. He will not hold off on trying to knock you down. He'll do all that he can to discourage you. And what will happen is if you're not in this Word and it's not reinforcing your heart and you're not coming to church, gosh, this is your chance to come here, or you're not uh, you know, doing things for the Lord. You're not submitted to the fact that, hey, listen, God's calling me to give this person a track, but I don't know. I'm not the person. But, 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 this is why I don't do it. This is why I haven't said it. This is why, 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 right? And we come up with all the reasonings, and we don't do it. We are cutting ourselves, undercutting ourselves. Because recognize, because we're lazy by nature. You know the first areas that slip when we start to get lazy in our Christian life? Time in the Word. Our prayers become short, if any. Church, I may come, but I don't have fears to hear. I'm not here to be changed. I'm good with who I am. Or we don't come to church at all. Right? And we're not involved in the work of God. And so what happens because we allow that to take place, we have what's called compromised faith. And compromised faith is not strong faith. It wavers. And every adversity that comes rocks your world. And as your faith crumbles under the weight of the circumstances of life and the excuses start to pour out, as you start to try to justify to yourself and to God why you're not who you should be. But God, I, uh, 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 I've not been given this. I don't have this opportunity. Man, we live in America. We have God's Word available. Probably many of us have multiple copies of it in our house. We have it online. There's so many resources available to us, and yet there are people that are spiritually starved as if they have no access to it at all, and they're surrounded by it. It's crazy. We have an opportunity to do great things for God. And see, all it takes for these men is for them to turn to Joshua and listen. See, he already told them the answer in verse 15. They just couldn't hear it. So then he reiterates it again with this great confidence and assurance. Notice what he says in verse 18. But the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down. And the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be 
strong. He speaks with confidence as if they're already victorious. He's challenging them. But the mountain, he says, shall be thine. Recognize the fact that he's, they've come to him with discontentment, ingratitude, and a lack of faith. And yet he responds to them like they're conquerors. He talks to them like they're deserving of victory. See, Joshua's confidence, again, is not in these men. His confidence is in Almighty God that he serves. And he closes out saying this, Though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. He's saying, in spite of your circumstances, in spite, though, in spite of their strength, no matter how powerful they may seem, and no matter, no matter how intimidated you might feel, can I tell you with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen? Amen. Man, y'all are quiet. Worries me. <laughs> and that's the key. See, Joshua redirected them. What's he doing? He's reminding them of who they are and whose they are. He's like, don't lose sight. Remember, you're children of the king. You are conquerors. Listen, that's what he says to him. Thou shalt do this. Thou shalt do this. You'll cut it down. And he says, thou shalt be thine and thou shalt drive out. You shall do this. It's going to happen. Just get up and go. Don't be spiritually lazy. Don't ask me to give you something that you don't deserve. Go get what I've given you already. As Christians, we've been given so much and we don't even claim what we have. We just want more. And this sad thing that sucks about Laodicea is what we want the more it isn't God. It's the world. Man, God, I, could wish I, I wish I could just be in your word more. God, I, I wish I could understand your word. I wish, God, I had more time to study. I wish I had more time to pray. I wish, God, I had more. My heart was, was connected to your heart. God, that's what I want so much. And guess what we would get? We would get it. Seek me and you shall find me. Search for your, with, me, with your whole heart. But we don't have a heart to get more of God. We have a heart to get more of the world. And the sad thing is, we're more discontented the next day. And we're not thankful for what we have. That's the picture we see right before our eyes. Joshua's redirecting them to who it is they are and who it is they belong to. And if we find ourselves in a place where we are discontented, where we're ungrateful, and we start to hear ourselves spool up our excuses, as we start trying to sell them to ourselves, and to God, can I offer you a wake-up call? If you're a born-again child of God, can I tell you, you are called to a much greater purpose than what we're fulfilling. We're called to a godly purpose. And it's not because of who we are, because we're not deserving. We don't have talents and skills and abilities. We can't change the world. But we don't have to. Because it's of whose we are. See, you're a vessel. A vessel is filled with the power of God. But if we don't show up, He doesn't use us. And if we find reasons to put ourselves in the world, and that's what we fill ourselves with, is all the crap 
that distracts us. Then instead of being a vessel fit, a vessel fit for the master's use, we're already full. And if we lose sight of who we are in Christ, then ingratitude follows. And that discontentment churns in our hearts. We are sons and daughters of Almighty God. El Shaddai. God. Listen to what Joshua says. Or listen to what our Joshua wants us to hear in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. Notice the very first thing. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So just like their Joshua reminded them, ours is reminding us that, listen, with him we cannot lose. Verse 58. Because we cannot lose, because we are victorious, through him, therefore, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Don't quit unmovable. Don't let the world knock you on your foundation. Stand secure. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Get involved doing what I created you to do. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Just. What is Galatians chapter 6 verse 9? It says, be not weary in well-doing for in due season ye shall reap if you faint not. Don't quit. Well, I used to serve the Lord. Well, get back on course. I used to this. I used to that. Well, great. You know how to do it. Get back on course. Remember who you are and whose you are. The way we confront and eliminate ingratitude from our lives is by remembering and choosing to live by the phrase that you walk under every time you enter and leave this building. Over the doors, when you leave here, it says this phrase, it's not about me. It's all about him. This is the key. If this phrase could be tattooed on our hearts, that we woke up in the morning and we could tell ourselves that truth every day, we would not fall into ingratitude. It's not about me. It's all about Him. Because if we make it about us, we'll be plagued with ingratitude. It'll be a part of who we are. And it'll turn into bitterness. Bitterness against our circumstance and ultimately bitterness against God. That's a bad place to be. Never enough. Life's not fair. But if we'll make it all about Him, well, guess what? We can live a life of victory and experience the contentment that comes with a thankful heart. This is what God intends for us. Why does he over and over and over and over again remind us to be thankful? Because it's the thing that protects us away from ingratitude. We can do it. Put our faith in him, not in us. All about him, not about us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Thank you for what you have reminded of us, reminded us of. Thank you, Father, for the truth of the Word of God, for the examples we get to learn from Scripture that we can directly turn around and apply to our lives. Thank you for the example that Joshua, a picture of Jesus Christ, revealed to us today as he dealt with the ingratitude of the hearts of the children of Joseph. And I do pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters, if there's some here today and they're struggling with ingratitude, they're looking in their life and they're saying, not enough, and it's nothing but complaints. God, help their heart, help their eyes, help their mind, help their perspective to see not what they don't have, but what they do have. 
And this life is not about us. God, we're on this earth for you. If we make it about us, we'll lose sight of everything that we're here to do. So God, I do pray for humble hearts. I pray for internal searching of our desires. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to introspectively pay attention to what it is we've allowed our Christian life to be. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and see him flee from us. Lord, make us more than conquerors through him that loved us. It's already who we are if we could just claim it. I do pray for this church. I pray for this body. Father, that you would help us to take a hold of this truth and, Lord, not just live it today when we walk out these doors and be thankful when we walk out, but to wake up tomorrow. And instead of starting out with the memories of what we don't have and the reminders of what I should be complaining about, help me wake up in the morning with a thankful heart and spend time just talking to you, honoring you, thanking you, and recognizing how good you've been and then live this life. Father, that you might use it for your glory. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know where I stand with God. 21 years ago, someone asked me if I died today, if I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven. And I said, I hope so. That's not a good answer. The Bible says that you can know. It's nothing more than receiving the gift of God. Christ died on the cross to pay for the sin debt of the world. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us is guilty. None of us deserve life. But God, by God, by His grace, has offered it to every one of us. And the gift of God, which is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord, is offered to you. Now, if you're here in this room or you're listening to this recorded, or you're watching it line, online, you can receive that gift. There's no ceremony involved. There's no magic prayer. It doesn't take a preacher. This is between you and God. He's drawing your heart. If you know you feel his draw, all you have to do is surrender. Putting your faith and trust, not in yourself, but in him. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ, I'm going to lead you in prayer. But it will not be the words that will save you. It's your heart that God listens to. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and in your mind, talking to God. Repeat after me, dear Lord, I, I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for the things that I've done wrong. I have lived in disobedience to you. And I'm sorry. I recognize it today. And in the best way I know how, with all of my faith, I'm asking you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins and to save my soul. I believe that you died on the cross for me. And Lord, I pray that you help me, help me to live a life that will glorify and honor you. Use me as an instrument of your love to this world. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.